0: I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around, and now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are, how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, Dave Kittle, welcome back to The Dave Kittle Show. Today, we are covering collaboration, communication, and conflict resolution between brokers, sellers, and buyers. I'm Dave Kittle, physical therapist and owner of Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy in New York City, and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group, currently acquiring practices in the New York and New Jersey area. And today we have a ton of energy and fire back on the podcast. We have Chris Vandefort of Transition One, broker and advisor and co owner of Transition One, as well as Dr. Todd Russell, dentist, DDS, and the CEO and founder of Empire Dental Arts in Ohio. Gentlemen, welcome back on.
1: Good to be here, Dave. Thanks for having us, Dave.
0: Excellent. So let's get right into it. The thesis of this uh, this title and this topic about communication, collaboration, and conflict resolution between the three parties here. So Chris on the the broker advisor side, Dr. Todd and I on the buyer side, and then you know Chris representing these practice owners and these sellers. And the reason that we're uh, on this episode today, and actually, there if you're watching on YouTube, Dr. Todd and Chris are actually in the same room. So that just shows uh, the potential relationship possibilities between a broker and a buyer. And we want to get into all of that, how Chris interacts with the practice owners and the sellers out there, and the, I don't want to say the cons, like pros and cons, but the the dynamic, the dynamic between the broker advisor, the seller, the private practice owner, and buyers, whether corporate or provider-led and, and professional-led. So let's get into that. Let me start with uh, Chris in regards to... Maybe some personal anecdotes and also some dynamic between you and and Dr. Todd and some of your other buyers out there and communicating, collaborating and conflict resolution. When we discuss that,
2: like what's the first thing that comes to mind there? When I sit down with a seller, my entire goal, my very first meeting, I don't bring in any paperwork. It's just me. And I tell them specifically, I'm just here to listen and learn about you. I want to find out why are we here? What has prompted you to give me a call and tell me a little bit about yourself? And the more I listen and get to know that seller after about an hour, hour and a half, I have a pretty good understanding of the why. What's driving this transition? That is so important because many times people believe that transitioning is like buying a used car or house. There's some sort of object and we're going to have two parties negotiate when it's probably the point in both buyer and seller's career, it's the most important relationship they will ever have in that one single transaction. Because if that relationship is strong, the seller will convey the goodwill successfully to the buyer. And the buyer will have 20 years of patient stream and patient retention coming in. So, getting to know the seller, what kind of individual he is, what his personal issues are, what his struggles are, gets you a better path forward on who the right buyer is. I mean, if you really know your client, you're not going to parade 10 people through the practice. You're only going to introduce one or two. And so, once I know who my seller is and I know his personality, I know the issues, I know where our obstacles are. Then I can best contact the right buyer who I think would match more appropriately to that practice. I'm very selective in both buyer and seller. I am not throwing 10 people at a chalkboard and hope they stick. So I will get a hold of Todd Russell and say, I have a gentleman who I believe checks all of your boxes. I know him well. I can vouch for his integrity. He's a good man. He's got a great business. Here are his inefficiencies. What do you think? Are you interested in meeting this good man? I'm bringing two good people together because I've vetted both of them and I have a relationship with both of them. I cannot tell you how important that backwards, if you will, counterintuitive philosophy is to a successful transition. That makes sense.
0: Absolutely. So how about you, Dr. Todd Russell? Any initial thoughts, takeaways in regards to this topic, your current experiences or past experiences?
1: Uh, well, I'm still mulling over backwards, counterintuitive, Chris just said, but no, my my feeling is, or actually echoing everything Chris said, but it is 100% that relationship. So as the buyer, I want, to, I want them to trust me. And the way I get them to trust me is by talking to them about, my career path how i got to where i am today the things that made me go this path and that was partnering with people in private equity or it was being bought by a large corporate group and i saw the pitfalls of it that i didn't like and ultimately gaining that doctor's trust in me as a buyer because i assure them of stewardship of their patients going forward i assure them of an ethical clean transaction I tell them up front that it is a process and that there will be some conflict along the way that we will need to resolve. I can't predict everything. I'm going to uncover a lot of things. I'm going to ask a lot of questions. And so by gaining their trust early, Chris said the first meeting is an hour, an hour and a half. There's no paper. There's no pens. There's no notes being taken. I'm exactly the same way. My colleagues trust me. They'll learn to trust me very quickly. I'm one of them. And so... It's so easy to communicate with them because of that. I've been in meetings where I've been with people who are not dentists and we're talking to a practice owner about potentially buying. That person may talk for a few minutes and then all of a sudden the doc is Mm glassy-eyed. They don't want to listen to him anymore. And then the next hour, they look right at me and it's all the questions come to me. And then afterwards, the follow-up messages are to me and they want to get to know more about my practice philosophy. So... Clearly, it's that the first meeting is so important. It sets the tone for the relationship. Um, and I can sense walking into a practice, meeting the doctor for the first time, I, this is going to work. It's not going to work.
2: And I think, you know, the reason why I said counterintuitive, if I have so many young buyers send me an email when they see one of my practice listings and their first question is, what is the price? Yeah. And I smile and I think, isn't that amazing that they're taught that's the only thing that really matters in that first minute to get information from this practice when it's, you know, what's the net return? How many operatories? Will the seller stay post-sale? What kind of cap, capital, cap
1: CapEx? Yes. Right? You've walked in physical therapy places, I'm sure, David, that you walk in, it smells, number one. Number two, everything is from 1940.
0: Peel, peeling, falling apart,
2: yep. Yep.
1: Right. Okay. Might be the right price point. That's the first question right. I ask. You walk in and go, oh, my God, no yeah. way am yeah, I buying.
2: Exactly. This so it's like it, it's counterintuitive to a lot of young buyers. When I say I'm prepping you, you need to bring your best to this first meeting. Do not negotiate. Mm-hmm. Just sit, bring your spouse. She'll make you look really good. It'll add a warm component. Show this person that you're a human being and that you would like to get to know them that's why i say counterintuitive because dave so many of these young uh dentists or healthcare professionals approach this with such a stale manner this is your faction your team this is my faction my team we're going to have this cold negotiation period and that's when it fails every time and if it doesn't fail before the sale it will fail after the sale because that bridge and bond was not created I am so, I'm such a believer in that concept that if I have a practice that I can tell that if I have a seller call up and he goes, this buyer just doesn't get it. Or I have a buyer call up and say, you know, I just can't seem to relate with the seller. Let's hit pause and let's move in a different direction Mm -hmm. because we're missing the most important part of the transition.
1: I agree.
0: In regards to specific, Communication styles and the overall. I mean, it's not like you're going page by page from some, you know, workbook or textbook, right, Chris? So, like in terms of communication, can you speak to how you balance that interfacing between the buyer and seller? And I know part of what you mentioned before of suggesting buyers like Dr. Todd and I take out the potential seller, the potential owner, and take them out for lunch or dinner. And and it it fast forwards the relationship building sometimes by, I think you said three months or something, but it fast forwards, it builds a lot more rapport in a short period of time. And I've actually done some of those things. My question to you would be, how come other brokers will try to lead all the communications, whether it's phone calls, Zoom calls, emails, emails to me, and and I'm not going to mention any other brokers' names, but emails to me, and it doesn't have the seller even on the email. And then it's like, does the seller see my response? I got to put the seller on carbon copy on the email so that they kind of, you know, I want to make sure that they see it directly from me. How do you balance that interfacing of communication between the buyers and sellers where you want them to like go meet each other, spend time together, hang out, get to know each other, make sure it's the right fit, but also you're trying to lead the dance somewhat. So how do you balance that communication style?
2: Well, I've vetted my buyer, so I'm, I'm calling the seller. And a really savvy seller, occasionally, I've had this ask, asked to me. He'll ask me over the phone, Chris, why are we meeting this person? Mm-hmm. Excellent question. I have met with this buyer and their spouse. I know what their goals are. I've been able to measure some of their character. I'm really impressed. I think we have a good match. I have a certain protocol. I'm always at the first meeting. The next nine meetings, not so much. I'm always at the first to set the tone. At the end of that first meeting, I say, Dr. Seller, would it be okay for me to give Dr. Beyer your financials? And oh, by the way, would you swap cell phone, email? And what I'd like for you to do is keep reaching out, and I'll circle the wagons, structure the documents, work with the bank and advisors. So I'm setting the tone early hey guys, I really would like for you to go ahead and start this communication and then I'll support from the side or the back. I've just found that works for me, Dave. Why others want to maintain the control of the deal so much, I think they miss the essence of what this transition is. You don't have to be the prom queen every day.
1: Yeah. Right. I would say what comes to my mind right away is insecurity. They're worried that there's somehow the deal is gonna be gone, it's gonna go, it's gonna go off camera and get done and they're gonna lose their commission. I I really don't know. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. To possibly get a listing contract anyhow. And when I, as the buyer, can communicate directly with the seller or the seller's agents, their accountant, for example, right? You know, many docs practitioners, yeah, they know they have a PL, they have a bank statements, they can do all that, but getting it from the accountant from my team to their team without involving the third party, because that just slows it down. We can make a decision a lot quicker. We can pull together. And then the other thing is practitioner to practitioner, as I mentioned to you, it's a process. I can walk them through that. They can ask, sure. They can ask Chris about it. Mm-hmm. Let's say it's a, it's a, it's a transition and, and we want to add our software, right? How long? And they, they'll, so they got to ask Chris, Hey, how long before Todd's team is going to bring in a new software? So just talk right to me. And I'll get you to the guy that's yep. going to be doing it for me even better. And we'll we'll establish a timeline. OK, if we close within 90 days, we're going to have this. We're going to do that. You know, here's what can change that timeline. And then they have so much more knowledge of the process. A more recent transaction that we did, probably our best one to date. Um, it did not involve uh, it did not involve Chris. We came across this gentleman through a, a friend of a friend. Um, and we wind up having we set up weekly meetings with my transition team myself and the seller doc smooth if chris was involved beautiful he would have been invited to those weekly meetings would not expected to attend welcome to attend but not expected. and i would have tuned
2: in and just so i have an understanding of where we are in the process but i would not have interjected control over those Mm -hmm. meetings you know when i meet with a buyer this is very important dave I'm saying, listen, I'm here and my team is going to be your best ally. I'm your best resources. The seller has said you're the one. What good am I to the seller if I can't get you across the finish line? So my job is to make sure you're educated, that I give you to the best resources, attorney, Mm -hmm. CPA, and bank. So you have the A team that helps you cross the finish line. That's my job. I don't need to be the loudest voice in the room. My job is to be your best ally and give you the resources you need. And I tell them, yes, the seller pays my fee, but what good am I if I keep you from getting this done? So I'm, I'm your greatest asset. And I tell them, listen, I'm a very successful business owner. We have a nationwide company. My lifestyle is not going to change one bit off this deal, but yours will. So let's focus on what's most important to you and let's not worry about me. Mm-hmm. So true.
0: Awesome. And in the pre-interview we we're talking about, you know, we were talking about conflict or conflict resolution. So, Chris, and I think a lot of either uh, assumptions or miscommunications can sometimes occur during this whole process because it's it's stressful. Maybe maybe the, the sellers are going into this probably for the first time ever. Um, and a lot of this can be resolved from jumping on a phone call or a Zoom call, whether it's joint with both sides or, or kind of just you getting them back on track. What are some things that you've come across without mentioning any you know, names or practices, but in terms of conflict resolution?
2: Well, it's incredibly stressful. I've had sellers call me and go, this is all I think about every day. That seed has been planted in their mind. They're in the chair thinking about this and it wears them down emotionally and mentally over time. And I've had sellers call me, I'm not sleeping well. This is just really getting to me emotionally. I had a wife call me once and said, my husband's breaking out in hives and he's crying. I
1: mean, I've heard it all. It's their baby. It is. It was their baby. They're single shingled practitioners for the most part. They haven't told their staff, which is a requirement of our organization. They can't find out in the 11th hour. It's tragic for them. Some of them have been with these people, their family, you know, maybe they are family, but otherwise they're like family. The patient base, all of the practitioners think that only they can provide care for those patients. They're the best at it for that particular person. I think we can find great doctors that can also provide excellent care, too. And, but yet they don't know that. They, that's all they've known is themselves caring for that patient. And so it's a difficult bridge to cross. It is.
2: And I think Todd mentioned this earlier, when you meet with buyer and seller in the beginning, in order to keep that conflict to a minimum, full transparency, realistic expectations. Mm-hmm. Seller, I know you want a 100% of collections, and I pay my bills by selling practices. I would love to get you 100%. But you don't have any digital technology. All of your computers will have to be replaced. You are not a modern office. This will require a $100,000 investment from the buyer. So before we get into this tug of war where we create this artificial barrier that we can't meet, you know, we created, we bumped up the max valuation and then the buyer comes in and goes, no, we got to fight until we get it here. Seller, I'm going to tell you, you're $100,000 high and you're going to have to trust me on this because this is the number we're going to wind up with. When I meet with the buyer and his advisors, we're not negotiating. I have already done that for you. I have already set this realistic mark. I've kept you from destroying the goodwill, which you're trying to buy. You're not the bad guy. I am a good broker. Does that right up front sets realistic expectations. So it reduces conflict. You know, when you hear all these stories where people are pulling out their swords and they're ready to die and fall on them. That's because the broker or the mediator did not do his job. These transparent issues should have been had from the beginning. You agree?
1: 100%. 100%. It has to be in uh, a good buyer, and I consider ourselves to be a good buyer. We're still despite Chris producing his own valuation, we're still going to do our own. We have our systems, sure, our sure. processes, we have our checks, we have our balances. We're still going to look. If we are off by a significant portion, it's so easy to talk to him yep. and say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, we're only getting this. How'd you get here? Right. And the other thing is, I feel as a practitioner, I wanted to deliver to my colleague the best possible outcome, not only a transition that's smooth, but the biggest dollar value. I'm not trying to be cheap in buying their practice. But like he said, if you young dentists, they're going to come work for me in that practice. If they're coming to work for me and all they know is technology and you have a charted office with one computer. No digital, your x-rays are old school. Man, that's a quarter million dollars right, right there. Right. You want me to buy it? That's fine. But I got to raise enough capital to buy you and spend a quarter million dollars. And then there's time to do all that and labor involved. And I don't know if I want to spend 250 is more like 300 now. So that trans, yep. that's transparency, which David, you and I talked before. That's one of our, my company's core values. That's why we get along so well in the buyer-seller-broker relationship is because we both believe in transparency. So much easier to call it out in front of the buyer or in front, yep. in front of the seller. It really my side is, yeah. And you say, hey, listen, this is the way this is going to work. Otherwise, you can't do it. Hopefully, after that long meeting, first meeting with me, they've gained the trust in me. They've seen what I've created behind me in the past. And so now they're like, oh, I see what he's done. And then Chris backs it up. And mm-hmm. so that, that dynamic really works well to um, settle the buyer. Like going back to what the original thing, how we that's really what we're doing is trying to settle them to
2: there, there will always be conflict. Process. You know, we find that uh, sometimes an attorney <clears throat> creates conflict, especially when it's an uncle or an aunt or a, a, a parent. You know, this is now the merger of General Motors and Ford, and it's the most <laughs> it's the most important transaction they've ever been a part of. And it's very biased. And all the fairness is pulled to one side. Now, Todd has to get his pit bull attorneys to pull it back to the middle. So we do have those. But again, I will ask these young people in the first meeting, let's talk about your team. Tell me who your transition team is. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's your uncle. Let me tell you right now, this is a recipe for failure. I absolutely have that conversation. And I tell them, if we're headed down that path, you're going to lose this practice. And six months from now, you're going to look at me and say, Chris, why didn't you just level with me in the beginning and tell me? Why did you hold that back? Why did you try to candy coat? I'm going to tell you today. And I'm going to help you make the correct decisions today so that six months from now, it's a win. You're saying that because the
0: the seller's family member who might be some Attorney may or may not even be practicing anymore, and is not a specialist in this okay. area at all. So never you know, probably help yeah. sell a business and advise in exiting or drafting contracts or you know contract law or anything.
1: An attorney is is absolutely necessary in the process, right? A great attorney is what's going to get you to the finish line. Mm-hmm. An attorney who's this is essentially a merger and acquisition. Right, that's what we're doing. Right, we're either merging with my company or the, somebody who is a de- young dentist is acquiring that practice. So it falls into that category. If your attorney is your uncle who does what do you call it, probate or real estate or wills and and um, things, yeah, they know contracts, but they don't know M and A contracts. They don't know dental at all. That's not who you want representing you. And the other thing is, if you get the fly by night guy who's down the street who's not an uncle. He or she is trying to prove their worth. So they're going to spend, they're going to bill you more. They're going to bill you for every comma and semicolon that they change to show you that they've edited the document. Whereas my documents have been vetted. Here it is. This is it. We've already, here's the, we, we've already negotiated the dollars. We've already negotiated the timeline and this, this, and this. That was on the first page of what we handed you three months ago. Here's the final documents. There's nothing egregious because all the things you're accounting for don't go changing the document. And if your attorney is going to spend 17 of your hours at three, four, $500 an hour, adjusting commas and semicolons on our document, I don't want to work with them. No. And so your advisors can actually ruin the deal for you.
2: Right.
0: I want to circle back on two things. So one thing that Dr. Todd said about, they're going to, you know, the, the buyers, we're going to look at the numbers. We're going to come up with our own valuation of the practice that may be in the ballpark or may be different from, what Chris or the broker advisor or the seller is looking for or what they've come across as the valuation and what they believe is a an appropriate asking price. So if those numbers are off, just to recap, so Todd, you're saying like, it's totally okay to say respectfully to the broker or the seller or the broker advisor, you know, are we missing something? Maybe we are missing, a, maybe we're missing a data point or two. Yeah, you know, for, yeah, can can respectfully can we just collaborate on a Zoom call or a phone call? Can we just talk about oh how you got there, but not condescending in a way of like show me your math, like show me your homework, like you know what did what did you do? But can we talk about how you got there? Maybe there's some add backs we're missing, or I don't know something, right?
1: And David, I'm going to cut you off, but you know what's changed all that and what's made it actually easier is there used to be multiple practice valuation methods. And I don't know if you had that in physical therapy, but in dental, we did. And, you know, there's two or three methods and they were they were cash flow methods. They were this. They were um, they were done by procedure codes and whatever. Now, the business world has moved to the, you know, the 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 profit version, right? The EBITDA version. So now we talk the same language. So when you say ad backs, okay, Chris, how'd you get that one? Am I missing an ad back? Oh, well, yeah, that $60,000 in computer equipment really was $55,000 in a used BMW. Oh. (laughs) We've seen it. Uh, And we've seen it. Oh, now we add that. And oh my gosh, look at that. Now the multiple fits, you know? And if we don't know that, then we can't. And so go back to our first, the opening part of this, this dialogue, communication, buyer, seller, broker. It's not an us against them. It's a we trying to pull this thing together. And a great broker, and my buddy here, of course, I'm going to pat him on the back versus other brokers I've seen. He's open to that. He actually becomes an advocate for me as the buyer, as well as an advocate for the seller. And he's trying to find the middle ground. Some might argue self-serving because he knows at the end of the day, he gets paid for what Mm -hmm. he did, but he's trying to get it across the finish line. And he did all the vetting. He's got the buyer and seller who he thinks is a match. And so he, of course, wants to push that across the finish line. And so mad respect for that approach. And that's why our relationship Mm -hmm. has worked so well.
2: It's really our numbers on paper will probably be similar, Dave. If Todd calls me and says, hey, we've got a similar profit margin here, but I'm looking at it from an intangible point of view. Mm -hmm. Doctor wants to walk away. And I just can't afford to give him what he's asking because the risk for me is too high. Finding someone to replace his level of production is going to take a year or two. That makes perfect sense to me why the value would change based on that philosophy. And I would agree with him. And I'd say, well, let me talk with the seller and explain your logic because there really is good facts behind it. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. But again, How do you argue against that when he's taking all the risk? So I have to propose a very logical message to the seller and the seller goes, well, I really like Todd and trust him. Let's sit down for a little pretzel and beer and let's talk it through. Done. We'll walk out of there in 30 minutes and solve what could not have been
1: solved by attorneys in a month. Yeah, absolutely. We talk about the attorneys. I actually like working with the accountants better than the attorneys. Because the accountants, the uh, spreadsheets, the, the Excel spreadsheets, the sales, they don't lie. The numbers are with the numbers. And accountants are very factual, right? They, they want to see it. They want to they look at it. And they can follow the trail. And so when you work with the accountants, they're efficient. They want to get it done. Start at 10, they end at 11. And I, I really, those are, the, those are the advisors I work the best with because we can get the answers. The attorneys, you're, you're bouncing around. I almost feel like it's an existential conversation. It's never really about anything. I should say, I take that back. Some attorneys, the great attorneys good ones out there they are fantastic. They've been in the business. They understand it. They cut to it. And so my advice to somebody young is have the best team Yep, and that's okay to pay for it. You don't want to get overcharged by an hourly rate for someone to move a comma or a semicolon, but you're paying someone for their experience and their ability to look at that yep. contract What is that? and to look at my contract yep. and go, yeah, I don't really have anything to change here. As long as you're happy with what you negotiated, this is pretty good
0: I want to circle back on what Chris was mentioning earlier in regards to kind of like managing the expectations and kind of setting the tone for this type of process because as Chris as you were describing that, I was like thinking like, man, I can't wait to share this on YouTube and LinkedIn and get this out in front of other brokers or other brokers of brokers that I'm maybe not even connected with that don't do those things, and that's why a lot of the businesses on a lot of these listing, you know, public broker websites are publicly listed for one year, two years, multiple years, and sometimes may never sell. And the way you're, I just hope the audience understands like, and others hear what you're saying about managing the expectation and you, you know, the, the challenges from both sides and you're trying to make it work as opposed to a broker and many of the brokers that unfortunately we've interfaced with where it just seems like, they're pushing some unrealistic dollar amount to be quite frank, and it's less about does it work financially for the buyers maybe, and that that's the challenge with this whole world, right because there's going to be there's going to be certain advisor brokers that understand the game and they understand like how to efficiently filter in and out like first of all, is this even sellable? is the practice sellable, and then you move on okay then you you meet Dr Todd, you meet me, you meet others, okay, are these Legitimate buyers or not, you know, you move on, and then you can kind of mesh them together. But not all brokers and advisors are just doing that. So maybe they're maybe they're in a different business model. Maybe they're making money from listing fees and and marketing fees, and less about the commissions on the back end. But what you're describing is like it would be great to have. And my feedback, and, and maybe Dr. Todd has others other feedback. But my feedback is that's not. Every broker advisor, unfortunately, I wish they all were. And that's why the sellers need to perform their own due diligence, you know, interview several individuals, obviously ask for recommendations and, you know, word of mouth from other practice owners that have previously sold. I don't know if you have any feedback. Go ahead, Dr. Todd.
1: No, I was um, it's I've been saying this and COVID kind of changed some of it. But I used to always say it's handshakes and hugs. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. um, Boots on the ground. This what we're doing right now, David, you know, obviously makes it easier because you're in New York and and we're in Cleveland and this works. But it's being together physically that really, really solidifies the relationships and moves the needle forward. Mm -hmm. It's I could not look at a practice that and, and talk to a practice owner like this. No. I mean, I can on the third, fourth, fifth meeting where we're just trying to be efficient. We're, we've got clinical schedules and family schedules, and you need a half hour on a Saturday afternoon. That's fine. But it is 100% the boots on the ground, physical contact, get to know one another. And, you know, COVID changed a lot of that for a lot of things. But my organization, who I am, if you can't meet with me physically and talk about this, then I think it's going it's, it's to be a very difficult transition. I don't think I want to do it anyhow.
2: And I'm not saying you work with every buyer, and I'm not saying Mm -hmm. you work with every seller. I mean, that's you want to select, selectively create a pipeline that you believe are going to give you good results. Mm -hmm. So you have to be careful who you bring into the pipeline. And it's okay to say no. I actually think it's to people's benefit to say no. And it's okay to select carefully your buyers that you bring into the pipeline. I would love to help everybody. Just the fact is, not everybody's ready. I cannot tell you how many times I'm sitting with a young dentist and they say, Chris, I'm ready to buy a practice. And about 45 minutes later, I'll say, you know, I've really enjoyed meeting you. And really, I get a sense that what you're looking for is just a job. Yeah. Okay. But I could have wasted somebody's time for weeks introducing someone over the email or not getting in front of them, I could have led somebody down a path only to fail and the seller would have said, you know, I wish we would have known more about this buyer before you brought them in. So you have to really, like Todd said, it's not only the same with sellers, but it's with buyers. Get to know who you're working with and fill your pipeline with clinically mature, confident, just good people. Now, everybody has flaws. There's no perfect dentist, no perfect practice. But you can create really good win-win situations, just like he said, by getting in front of people. Hmm.
0: So, Chris, what do, from your perspective on the broker advisor side, you interface with, you interview, you work with many different practice owners and you have in, in your team, etc.
2: What do practice owners really care about? obviously they care about value that is important you know whether they say it i'll always leave the meeting and go doc i know you've thought about it a thousand times what do you think you're worth i want to know i want to know i want to know if they're realistic dave i cannot tell you i don't have to do an appraisal for half of my sellers listen to this some of these guys their financial house is in order and gals and gals they're great people They say, Chris, if the buyer would slide a check across the table and it had X on it, I would think that's fair. And I'm just smiling going, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. I'll do even a little better than that, just in case there's negotiating. But that is a grand I have one right now. I have one right now in the Dayton, Ohio area. The gentleman who's doing a million seven in collections. He's had two offers from corporate, very high offers. And he says, that's just not the script I want to give my patients. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, let me bring a solo buyer. Well, I brought a solo buyer who's scared to death of debt. And uh, Mm -hmm. the price, here we go. The seller says, I like this young man so much. I'm going to give it to him for 50% of collections. Now, this guy walks home with six or 700,000 a year. And I'm thinking, you know, I didn't set a valuation on that. I didn't prompt some artificial number that this seller is so fixated on. Hey, Doc, what are you willing to do for this young guy? So bringing the right people together, it should not be a hard fought battle. If it's a hard fought battle and the likability is not there, I failed. The seller failed or the buyer failed, but usually it's the broker's failure.
1: And in that example, Chris, you walked away from a much bigger personal number oh, yeah? in order to get the deal done. But then that also tells you about his reputation. That buyer that got that for 50% is loyal to him. And that buyer, well, probably not anymore, 25 years from now, it's going to look for him to sell his practice. Mm-hmm. He's probably not going to be doing this in 25 years, but, but
0: that buyer will refer friends and colleagues, other dentists to Chris in transition
1: one. Right. You got it. Right. That's exactly where I was going. So, and that's, that's the value of someone like that. That is the integrity side. That is the transparency side. That's so important. I was going to comment on, I was going to ask you, I, I'm hoping that you answer. Here we this. go. All I right. hope you answer. This yes. Right. A hot seat. Hold Here we off. go. Ready for this? <laughs> What is, what do you find to be the number one thing that actually takes down a deal? What, component of the deal kills the deal? What elements, or maybe I'll, I'll try to give it a little bit more to you, mm-hmm. what aspect of the buy-sell transaction is the number one deal killer?
2: That's a really good question. Um, I've had deals, I don't have many, but I've had deals fall apart when the buyer or seller changed their terms after the letter of intent has been signed. Mm. So, in you know, a letter of intent is not a binding document, but essentially, in principle, we're cutting and pasting into the asset purchase agreement terms that were agreed to. And then 30 days later, I have a very large practice in Columbus. It's a $3 million practice that just vanished in thin air. The buyer suddenly, a month before we close, says, you know, that this profitability just doesn't make sense now with rising interest rates, and and uh, I just said, hey, buyer, we were supposed to close this six months ago. This is not the seller's fault. And if you change these terms 30 days before the sale, we're going to kill this. Mm-hmm. And he did, and the seller says, Chris, I'm, I'm going to hit pause. So maintaining those terms from the letter of intent all the way through the contract phase is key.
1: Well, I'm going to argue... A conflict between us here. Yes, um, yes. Let's get to it. <laughs> a well-written letter of intent is a timeline for presentation of the final executable document. That makes sense. Which allows for a period of due diligence. So, as the buyer, you gave me right. a number. We right. all agreed in the letter of intent. Right. But that letter of intent has a paragraph in it that says, "Hey, if we find some things that are a little different, sure. we have the right to pull out of this deal." That's now, understandable. Interest rates changing because I dragged my feet. Right. That You're it, right. That is it, that yeah. is 100%. It, I need. Exactly. But going in and finding out that, oh, really, you you were blah, 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 right. or you know, whatever you're doing. And now that's-
2: I've changed story. our number. I've had a, a yeah. buyer that actually actually go in and do due diligence really well. The seller says, come on in. I'm an open book. And they found a larger portion of Medicaid that had been reported. Right.
1: Now, that's a big one.
2: And I'm like. Yeah, I can't argue against that. And the buyer goes, "Listen, I mean, we're talking about a seventy thousand dollars swing here, and it's going to have to change the offer." I can't argue about that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not, I'm not stubborn enough to say that that was not what we disclosed. I get it. That makes sense. Let's go back and let's sharpen our pencils on that number. So change can happen, but it's when change is made and it pulls the wool out from under the seller stick. Stick to the letter of intent as tightly as possible.
1: So the answer I was really hoping for <laughs> <the> choice, <laughs> was real estate. Oh, yes, it does. I forgot. <laughs> yeah, I, I forgot. Oh, my God. I don't know if yes. you this, David, but that is the number one deal killer. I don't know why people who own real estate think that their real estate's worth a billion dollars, right? We can do the EBITDA on the practice, but a real estate's the same thing. It's just a monthly rental income. The market determines it for the most part. I have to agree with you. That is the number one. And that that kills so many deals or makes the deal so much harder. Is it because
0: we're we're valuing two different things, like the practice and the real estate? It's like two different things in one interaction.
2: Here's where it dies. When the real estate is worth more than the practice, Mm -hmm. we are dead in the water because the focus now becomes a real estate sale. Mm -hmm. And regardless of how we compromise on the practice, the real estate rules the entire transaction and we lose i mean yeah what is a practice valuation anyway it's very subjective based on goodwill if the dentist wasn't there mm-hmm. and you put the equipment out on the curb you're going to get a nickel for every dollar you paid mm-hmm. it's the dentist and we just destroyed that fighting over this piece of real estate and so i my company has a philosophy now you know, if you've got a five hundred thousand dollar practice and you're selling a million dollar piece of real estate, we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And we're probably going to let you know we're not the buyer. We're yeah. not the in
1: my company, we don't buy the real estate, although I've talked about trying to set up a separate entity to help with that. But it, it becomes such a such a drag. Um,
0: yeah. I mean, it's it's a different business and it takes a little bit more capital. And I mean, just no, I mean,
2: he's right. He's right. He's right.
1: We talk about it all the time. Uh,
2: he's right. That is number one. And I think it's important for anyone listening to this podcast. If you're selling your business, focus on that. The difference between a $500,000 value and a $700,000 value is driving the work and getting into a fender bender and hurting your back or your neck. Suddenly, you are healthy one day. You're then, not- then you have to go to physical therapy. <laughs> That's right. I know a guy. I know a guy. It's a short, plain flight. All right. So here we have this, they think this asset is going to maintain this value over several periods. Oh, no. I mean, one event can cut that value in half. Focus on that value now. Put into the words of the lease, they have the first right of refusal, but they have a five or 10 year lease. And if they don't want to buy, they don't buy. Mm -hmm. But don't kill this subjective value, which may not be there tomorrow, over this piece of real estate that, in the end, is not going anywhere.
1: Yeah, and don't be egregious on the lease either. Be reasonable. You're about to get, quite frankly, it's a great situation. You can get a 15-year lease from someone like me, which is more valuable to someone who's acquiring real estate than it is to me. Stable,
0: stable, yep. Right. Stable, and so, reliable.
1: And so negotiate a fair lease, but a long term lease. And now you've got yourself a great asset to sell to somebody else. And me as the as the new tenant, I'm happy with the lease. And so great. I don't care who's the owner because the, the terms are there. Let's go for 15 years. Mm-hmm. We're happy. Right. So anyhow. So a uh,
0: perfect place to wrap up. We got Chris Vanda Ford from Transition One. Chris, what's a good place Whether the LinkedIn email website for the audience to reach out to you learn more?
2: Yes, transition TransitionOne.net, or you can email me at Chris at TransitionOne.net. All right. And Dr. Todd
0: Russell, Empire Dental Arts, LinkedIn, email, website, what's a good place?
1: D, all the above, but uh, it is EmpireDentalArts.com or DTR at EmpireDentalArts.com is my email. Excellent, and guys. They can also use my cell phone, which I'll let them get that through you, David. Oh, there you go. You got
0: to reach out to me. All right, guys, if you find this valuable and helpful content, take the link of this YouTube video, iTunes, Spotify link, take this link and send it to one colleague, text it, email it send it to one colleague you met at a conference, you know, from school, if it's helpful to you, it'll probably be helpful to them. Share it out and uh, also go connect with Chris and uh, Dr. Todd on LinkedIn. That's it for now on the Dave Kittle Show. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at Dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E painrelief.com or You can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.